0: tex-us.com.
1: Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss,
0: explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith.
1: Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, and joined by my co-host, Dan McBaugh.
0: Hey, Wayne. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, Today, Wayne and I thought it was uh, timely to give an update on what's going on with 5G deployments this year. Anyone that's been listening for a while knows that we finished up last year by giving some predictions on what we thought might occur this year, and and, uh, Wayne and I both were of the opinion there'd be a big focus on um, 5G deployments and rollouts this year, and uh, being three quarters of the way through the, the year, um, and following up some, some industry events have been going on. There's some good data out there on what's been going on. So we're just going to talk about that and, and, uh, and, and go through how, uh, how 5G deployments have been going this year. Uh, before we do that though, Wayne, I was thinking maybe a little refresh for some of our, our listeners that may not have heard our cellular 101 episode. Way back in the day, um, we're notorious for our analogies to explain things. So maybe a couple analogies just to set the, the playing field for some of the concepts we're going to talk about today. Um, so what do you think? We'll start with uh, maybe explaining small cells and macro cells to folks and Spectrum and how that works, and that'll help us give an update. Does that sound some, like a good place to start?
1: Yeah, go for it. I, lo- I love it. It makes a lot of sense, and it's easy to understand and kind of gives you an idea of the landscape.
0: Okay, so small cells and macro cells so cell sites that are built traditionally in um, over the last thirty years have been what we would call uh, macro cells so most people think of a cell site as a tower, so big towers um, oftentimes they're also on big buildings, but they're tall um, you know eighty feet hundred feet, hundreds of feet sometimes uh, and and they would they were built and performed to cover. You know, up to a mile, five miles, large distances. So you might have a, a macro cell every mile or two on average, um, traditionally in these networks. And um, over the last probably five to eight years, would you say, Wayne, Which you're, since you've seen uh, deployments of small cells, how often, how far back did you see small cells starting to hit the market, would you say?
1: Ooh, I, th- I think you're right. I think it started somewhere around 15, 16. You know, this is seven years ago, Uh, we started Mm -hmm. seeing some of the um, preliminary small cell deployments. Mm -hmm. And they definitely picked up. But that's definitely, um, I think they've hit their saturation and now it's kind of like it's riding the wave.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So for listeners, uh, what a small cell is, um, these networks got to the point that, you know, large swaths of coverage were in good in good place, but then there was pockets of networks that needed um, either small areas that needed more coverage or predominantly small areas with high density of traffic that they needed to offload that traffic uh, because they couldn't support the capacity demands of the network. And so the concept of small cells, um, it's been around for probably 20 years, but it really started being used by the carriers um, in large scale. And they're just smaller versions of a cell site. Oftentimes they're on uh, light poles. They might be 20, 30 feet tall. And so they're just the exact same basic technology, but in a smaller package. And they might be deployed every block, even you'll see in urban corridors where a lot of small cells are deployed. So, um, that, that really is a concept that we'll talk a little bit about today on our update of 5G this year is, is what's going on. Like you touched on Wayne, uh, you know, there's been deployment of small cells and it's, it's sort of peaked for a while. We'll get into that in a little bit, but but that's the first concept I wanted to make sure we cover is small cells and macro cells, um, and then I think the second piece we want to cover, and we've talked about spectrum in the past. Um, prior episodes, we talked about in, in Cellular One Hundred and One, which I think was our second episode ever. We talked about this analogy of. Technology and spectrum where spectrum is a highway or a road and the technology 4G, 3G, 5G is the cars and the the quality of the cars and that the two go hand in hand. So I want to, I want to resurface that spectrum idea. Um, and specifically talk about how the carriers have lots of different spectrum that they use to deploy these networks and they have access to frequency bands. And if you think of frequency bands like, your radio in your car, right? It's got an AM band. It's got an FM band. It might have a Sirius XM band where it's using satellite, right? And those are all different chunks of frequencies from chunks of channels, right? So... Oh,
1: yeah. And I mean, just jumping in there real quick, giving you a breath. Um, I think the frequencies are going to be more and more important as we start to understand the 5G deployment. And I, I do have a use case. Well, I'll, I'll save it for a little bit later. But I want to talk about one of the large venues that we went to and how spectrum was actually being utilized, mm-hmm. versus uh, it was, which was new to me and how they uh, put it together. So, continue yeah. on. I think it's a good good place to start.
0: Sure, you bet. And so all of these carriers, T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, smaller rural carriers and the like, they all have multiple bands of spectrum at their disposal. And and in the industry, we we kind of break them into three categories, low, mid, and high. So low, low band spectrum, it's lower in frequency, and it's going to cover the furthest. The lower the frequency, the better it propagates through trees, through buildings. It has better propagation characteristics. And then as you go up in frequency those channels don't propagate through materials as well. They're more lossy. But the trade-off is the higher the frequency band, the larger the channels are. So if you think of that in our highway analogy, high band spectrum, which is going to be typically over six gigahertz, that's got channels that are very large and lots of them. So you could think of them as like a 20 lane superhighway, right? In our analogy we've used in the past. Whereas Low band spectrum, say 600 megahertz that T-Mobile uses, for example, you could think of as like a two-lane highway, right? Just doesn't have a lot of capacity. And so those two concepts, small cell, macro cell, and spectrum bands are important to understand for our update on what's going on with 5G. You think that, does that make sense, Wayne?
1: Yeah, talk a little bit about the the highways and speed and how they impact speed. I mean, because it's a good analogy there, you know, in a double two-lane road, you're going to watch your speed. To speed is impacted there versus a four or six lane highway like an autobahn. You're going to be rolling down through there. So I think that's good to 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 bring in speed to low, mid, and high. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so the carriers that might be using high band spectrum for their five G deployments, they're going to see five G perform at its best. Like you said. The highest speeds possible, the most responsiveness in terms of latency. You know, the network responding very quickly to the demands put on it. Whereas the low band spectrum that's used for five G, it's not gonna, it's not gonna have the speeds, and it's not gonna be always as responsive either.
1: Yeah, yeah. perfect. So that's good the, points. Yeah, that brings that brings it to uh, someone. People think about the network, and maybe you can talk about that in a minute. You know. Who's deploying where and what are they using their resources for as far as the 5g rollout
0: yeah for sure um let's get into that here in a second but let's let's do a little bit of recent history so we talked about macro cell small cell you know you guys saw Wayne in your experience in the deployments you've supported that you know if we go back to the mid you know twenty fifteen 2018 timeframe, the carrier's main focus was on what we call densification. They were really trying to get the most capacity out out of these networks and really refine their coverage. And so they were doing a lot of small cell deployments in urban areas. Uh, They got out into some suburban areas as well. But you know, for two, three years at the end of, uh, you know, 2018 to, to like 2020, that was really their focus. They were offloading capacity on their 4G networks, building these small cell networks and preparing for the the coming of 5G and getting those small cells and their traditional base macro cells ready for 5G. Uh, does that sound about right based on, on what you guys saw in the networks, Wayne?
1: Oh, for sure. In our deployments, I mean, you hit a great time. It was about densification of the network. In I think in terms of inf- infrastructure deployment, we're talking thousands of sites, hmm. macros. You don't think of thousands of sites; you think of hundreds, and you know, in different markets. So, definitely agree with that. So,
0: yeah, um, and then we hit <clears throat> 2020, which we all know was very unique in a lot of ways. Not just because that's when the technology of 5G started to really become more available, and the networks were ready to have 5G deployed but there was also the availability of more spectrum that the carriers had access to through FCC licensing and auctions the FCC had so they acquired more mid-band, more high-band and even more low-band spectrum. We also had the pandemic, right? And that that sort of impacted things a lot as well because now all of a sudden people were using the networks differently than they had historically. They were at home working from home. They weren't in the urban corridors as much and so those things all kind of hit the carriers at the same time. Um, and so what we saw in 5G in, in the last couple of years was a big focus. Uh, T-Mobile was probably the first that really rolled out 5G and hit the marketplace first. And they did it using 600 megahertz low band spectrum they had access to. And so they were able to just hit all of their existing macro cell networks by adding 600 megahertz and turning on 5G. So it was 5G on the phone, But in terms of what you might see in network performance, again, it was that two-lane highway. You weren't seeing huge increases in speeds, maybe, you know, 20%, 40% improvement over 4G. Um, But they were really the first to hit the networks um, in the early, you know, 2020, 2021 timeframe. And then Verizon, AT&T were sort of behind them, right? And I think you do a lot of work with Verizon in your world. When did you guys see, you know, significant 5G deployment starting for Verizon?
1: Well, I think to your point, prior to 2020 and the pandemic, they were really focusing on these big urban areas, tons of users, tons of maybe use case scenario. And then when that happened, that use case kind of fell apart. People started leaving the city. We started having remote workers everywhere, and they started leaving those high-cost centers. I mean, I think if you look today, and we're, we're two years into it, San Francisco have lost tens of thousands of people, New York and those metropolitans. So it became a switch and they kind of got caught. They did ultra wide band, you know, in those big cities, which the speeds are pretty, I mean, it's really impressive when you actually see it. And then now to, hey, wait a minute, T-Mobile's kind of leading here with their low band approach. We want all this spectrum or we paid $89 billion for it. I mean, you know, Verizon, AT&T let's try to catch up with
0: mid-band. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And and I think that's an important point is when that, when T-Mobile or excuse me, when Verizon at first started looking at their strategy for 5G, they had acquired a bunch of high band spectrum, very what's called millimeter wave spectrum. And the, this spectrum is the super highway 20 lane, you know, go freaking as fast as you can go um, support for technology. And that was they thought that was going to be their focus. And to your point, that's ultra wideband is what Verizon calls it. Um, I, I can't remember what AT&T calls it, but that was, they started rolling out that really high band, high frequency 5G in these urban corridors. But what they found was a, it doesn't cover very far, right? Yeah. Very small footprint doesn't penetrate through buildings. If they want to cover inside buildings, they got to put networks inside of buildings, right? More so than they have to do with low band and mid band. And with the pandemic, like you said, They realized, okay, we need to rethink our strategy. And so they acquired C-band spectrum, Mm -hmm. mid-band, three, four gigahertz spectrum, and that was their big focus. And as we finished last year, they were going to start the year with a huge emphasis, Verizon AT&T, on deploying 5G on C-band, which got derailed a little bit by the shenanigans with the FAA and aviation, which if you listen back to prior episodes... um, Wayne and I did I think a total of three episodes over the end of last year, beginning of this year on that debacle. But um so they came into this year really trying to focus on hitting five G hard in their C band, mid band spectrum, right?
1: Yeah, I think and and what's twenty twenty two been, it's a, it's it's been one of those years of inflation supply chain issue from the pandemic of cleaning itself out. So I I, I do think that Their expectations of what they were going to deliver in 2022 far outseated what real world on the ground issues that kind of arise this year, especially in deployment with labor, with high inflationary fuel costs and just supply chain bottlenecks that are starting to clear, I think, Mm -hmm. but they're not 100 percent cleared, you know. And and, and then we have a war to deal with in, in Ukraine, which changes energy prices. So. They're still marching down that path, but uh, I don't I don't know that it's been as successful of a deployment as the expectations were met. You know, so I think we'll still we're still this last quarter of 2022 from what we see. And it's going to be a massive deployment quarter, like one of the biggest ever to try to get the projects done by the end of the calendar year.
0: Definitely. Yeah. They're all kind of playing catch up, right? They they, mm-hmm. they didn't get the momentum they wanted at the beginning of the year, um, but things are starting to sort themselves out. They've started figuring out supply chain. It's still a problem. Don't get us wrong, right? But yeah. they're starting to figure out strategies on that. And so I think all three carriers at this point through their um, earnings calls or other public facing events, they've they've officially announced what they expect to see by the end of the year in terms of 5G coverage. And for sure, T-Mobile is leading the way. They're they're forecasting 260 million people in the U.S. to be covered by their 5G network. And then uh, in second behind them, Verizon's forecasting around 175 million, followed by AT&T at 100 million. So when you look at that, you know, T-Mobile is forecasting more than double the coverage of population with 5G over AT&T at the end of the year. And, you know, where those numbers Truly happen are they accurate? You know who knows. They're pretty. They hold, you hold those numbers close to their vest. But when they do come out and, and announce numbers, they usually hit them. They don't usually give a number that they can't hit. At this point, if they're saying they'll have those by the end of the year, I'm I'm pretty confident that's that's what they're going to have.
1: I, I think a good question that you you know that clicked for me when you were when you were used going to those numbers is. You know how are they able to do it so quickly versus the other two behemoths who have a more bigger network, more employees, more capital, if you will? Mm. Like, how does T-Mobile? What what what's your take on that?
0: Well, it's a couple things. So, for one, they had uh, access to uh, 600 megahertz spectrum, low band spectrum that they had acquired, um, and had a clear strategy from the day they acquired that spectrum that that's what they were going to use it for, and so they had a bit of a head start. On Verizon and AT&T because Verizon and AT&T needed to um, either harvest some spectrum, meaning um, get rid of 3G and 4G on some spectrum they were already using to make it available for 5G or wait until they had access to the new spectrum they'd acquired, like the C-band or the millimeter waves spectrum to to do their deployment. So T-Mobile had a bit of a head start with that strategy. Um, As many people may or may not know, T-Mobile also acquired Sprint. Merger acquired, depending on how you talk to, um, through that acquisition, um, there was some activity that Sprint was already doing on 5G deployments as well. So that also gave them a bit of a head start. Um, and they've just been aggressive. Uh, you know, they've been head down with their strategy and, um, and like I said, got an earlier start. So, and what they did was they literally just added 5G to all of their existing Network and did a massive overlay uh, nationwide on their macro cell network. So they, they focused more on, let's get 5G on our macro network versus doing a strong 5G densification like AT&T and Verizon did in the urban corridors. And so I think that's what really, they got more bang for their buck, if you will. They covered more pops per cell site that they rolled 5G out on.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things I've seen about speed this year, and I think it's worth noting to talk about, a little bit as you talk about the carrier so we went to the SoFi Stadium you know giant stadium i think it has a 100,000 people out in the LA area and the use of the spectrums together was pretty amazing i haven't seen you know that in my you know in my uh, deployed in a working network but like we were connecting on the mobile at 3.6 gigahertz And inside that venue area is a good use case application for how 5G can really achieve speeds. And from my understanding, they were combining the spectrums to get Mm -hmm. you the most throughput for it, not just one single spectrum, but all three together. And it's pretty impressive. When you look down, you see 3.6 gigahertz on your speed test. You're definitely knowing that it's... (laughs) It's coming down the path, but you know, is that expectation of those kind of speeds for everyday Americans who don't live in urban corridors? I doubt it. Right. Just don't, you know, just don't see the deployment of and in the in those closed venues. To Dan's point, antennas are everywhere. You just can't see them. They're built mm-hmm. into the stadiums these days, as we learned a couple of weeks ago from Morton's, and you know, they're already built. Um, so pretty, uh, pretty amazing to see something in action. But then in our regular our everyday lives, you know, we're waiting for mid band, low band coverage so we can start to see improvement in the networks from that side.
0: Right. And 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 you point out, I think another point that I'll, I'll reiterate is, and that example of SoFi, it was a brand new greenfield opportunity, right? A brand yep. new, a brand new facility that didn't already have existing cell sites that had to be change to add 5G, um, harvest, you know, 4G or 3G off of them first to make them available for 5G. It was brand new. So they could, they could throw the kitchen sink at it, out of the, bu- out of the box. Whereas the rest of our networks, these carriers have to go back and touch them over and yeah. over like, you, you know, in your world, how often do you guys touch the same, the same cell site per year even?
1: Right? I think some of the numbers, um, every three years. hmm and, you know, I think the network's probably been rebuilt every five years. And that means the components and all the stuff on the tower and the remote radio heads and the antennas, you know, whatever that is. And so it's a constant innovation of infrastructure and in order to achieve where we're at today, not tomorrow. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's the hard part to always remember, Um because people still ask me, one of the biggest questions I get, "Hey Wayne, five Gs here. How come we still have drop calls?" Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think in twenty twenty three, what we're going to see is a lot more macros. Tower business is still good, you know, and it's still great.
0: Yeah, no, and as a matter of fact, to that point, if you look at in the U.S., we have um, most of the tower infrastructure that's out there does not belong to the carriers. Over the years, the carriers used to own those towers and they sold those towers to large financial players, companies like Vertical Bridge, Crown Castle, American Tower, SBA, Crown Castle, American Tower, and SBA. They're they're all three large public REITs, REITs, um, which, are, you know, you can invest, you can buy their stock. They own all of those towers. And if you look at their numbers this year, they're all doing really well. They've had a lot of work going on where the carriers are having to touch their sites on their towers, which, uh, which makes their, you know, their profits go up. And so that is indicative of what we've seen this year is a lot of work on those towers.
1: Yeah, we're on um, yeah, we're seeing that play out. I think the the big word that I would use always in 5G has been fiber, 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 fiber. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally everything's been about fiber delivery. Um, we've we've definitely increased the fiber uh, interesting fact on Verizon's own network. They now own 52 53% of all the fi- fiber on their on their network. Right which is quite the accomplishment from 2017 when that started. And that's what really started the push to 5G is having those fiber assets deployed. And that's still going on. Like, it's crazy out there how much, you know, I think the Broadband Infrastructure Act at $200 billion from the government for rural broadband fiber is just being deployed like crazy at this year towards the end of the year.
0: Yeah, no, that that's a good point. And, you know, both, both AT&T and Verizon made a big part of their strategy to really focus on fiber deployments. And that focus probably also slowed them down a little bit on their initial 5G rollouts because they were so focused on trying to get that fiber built. You know, you go back to our episode, Wireless Needs Wires. You can't yeah. do any of this stuff if you don't have broadband fiber to these sites. Um because that, that bandwidth that those sites are providing has to get back into the cloud, into the internet, into these core networks through broadband wired networks, to your point. So I think you're right. And I know for a while, like Verizon was way behind on their fiber project. And they, they finally got that momentum, finally caught up. And then 5G just sort of flowed from that once they got caught up, right?
1: Yeah, interesting note that I did read um, was, so T-Mobile and their acquisition or merger to your point of Sprint they just sold off the fiber part of the fiber network for a dollar <laughs> to Cogent, which is an ISP I would call out there, you know, gigabit fiber provider, which is a st- strange strategy because they only sold it to them for a dollar.
0: Right. Yeah. No. So clearly, very different strategy that T Mobile's taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they aren't looking to operate and have a huge fiber backbone like at and Verizon. Uh, so time will tell. Like, right? we'll see how yeah. this all plays out. But, T-Mobile's always been kind of more, I wouldn't say more innovative, but just different in the way they tackle things. Um, they've well, made stocks, some announcements.
1: Their stock's doing well compared to the others. <laughs> they are. Yeah.
0: They are. We,
1: you didn't mention DISH at all. I mean, in your uh, synopsis is 2022. I mean, any, you have anything on it? I haven't heard a whole lot. You know, they're just trying to get things out.
0: Yeah, no, good point. So Dish is building a brand new greenfield network from the ground up and it's 5G out of the gate. So, you know, their networks are launching 100% 5G. They're doing a lot of innovative things that the other carriers can't because they're building from scratch. You know, every time you look at the history of these networks, the the players that are building brand new networks from scratch have a leg up on the legacy companies because the legacy companies have to still service that old technology they have to figure out how to squeeze the new technology in with the the old so for sure DISH has been very focused on their build outs this year 100% 5G Um, they're doing predominantly mid-band so they're kind of in that sweet spot of you know mid-band really provides a a good trade-off between coverage and capacity and speeds and so they're really focused on that Um, and they're obligated by the FCC to get a certain amount of networks launched by early next year in order to meet their obligations on build-out requirements FCC made them have as part of acquiring that spectrum and being authorized to use that spectrum. So uh, they're head down, you know, they're, they play their cards pretty close to their vest in terms of, you know, announcing uh, launches and things, but uh, they've been very focused doing a lot of building this year as well. And, uh, and last year. And so you'll start to see them launch. Now as a consumer, you may not be able to go buy Dish service, right? Dish's other unique thing that they're building is sort of a white-label carrier's carrier, if you will. So their intention is to basically sell access to their network to other providers. So you might see virtual network operators like Mint Mobile or or what what have you that are using Dish's network to, to sell service to, to people. And you might even see... One or more of the big three—Verizon, AT&T, and t t mobile actually subscribing to and using parts of Dish's network as well. So, wow. as a as a consumer, you may not see commercials, and you may not see that Dish even exists um, on a consumer focused uh, marketing plan or anything like that. But it remains to be seen. They could, but but so far, it doesn't look like they're planning that.
1: Yeah, you know, some interesting things too that we we touched on a little bit about this year and how the infrastructure. I think maybe we should talk about how inflation in this industry, not not in this episode, but as just as future, you know, as the wireless industry, for sure. And you and I, you know, our tenure, we've never had an inflationary state in the economy in through the infrastructure deployments. We may have had some bumps in the road as far as, you know, the 20, 2008, but never high inflation. I think it's probably worth the episode for us to talk about the impacts to all the vendors out there and the people who build the networks and who participate mm-hmm. in it and how how that's really impacted their year and their ability to deploy and the cost and all of those things. It seems interesting part of the subject here as we talk about how they rolled out and how twenty twenty two, you know, is shaping up to end.
0: Yeah, no, I think that'll be a good topic that we'll hit down the road. And as a matter of fact, I actually have a speaking engagement coming up in a, uh, end of October to to talk to a lot of industry construction companies about how do they how do they continue to fight through inflation? How do they position themselves to to bode well and survive through a potentially an upcoming recession if that happens?
1: Mm. Yeah, so, good. good. You
0: know, it's all good stuff. So, well, hopefully, this kind of gives everybody. And, and you know, hey, Wayne and I don't profess to be experts across all assets, facets of the, uh, the industry, you know, we may have gotten a couple of things wrong or, or missed a couple of points Uh, for sure is always love to hear back from you guys. If if we got something wrong, missed something, if you have some points that we should expand on five, gguyscom is where you find us all the social channels. Any other thoughts, Wayne?
1: No, I think it's a good one to, you know, move into the fourth quarter. We think it's going to be a great one for us. Uh, It's looking like there's a lot of volume out there. And, you know, we're just hoping the industry keeps moving through it and finds ways to get things built and bring new technology to everyone.
0: And Yeah, that's a good point. I think we're going to see a lot of times in our industry, you see a, a slowdown first quarter of a new year. I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to see that this year. I think it's going to carry straight into the new year. You agree? Uh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thanks for joining us again. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the backside on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5GGuys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.